2: Is an outrage. Broadcasting live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's It's time for Mortgage Matters. matters. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. (laughs) 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 Thanks, Jim.
0: They took out my little uh, thing here for some reason. Your sound effects machine?
2: Yeah, so whoop whoop. Oh, it is (laughs) gone. We don't yeah. have any more of that weak applause But I don't know no, what it is. Well, it knows <laughs> they kind of came in here and cleaned the studio, like really cleaned the studio. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. It feels so um, stripped I sure. down. I think there was a lot of clutter in here.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of what it was. There was a memo that went out last week. Yeah. Ready or well stuff. Your or. personal items.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Get it out or we're throwing uh-huh. it away. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. good. Uh, spring cleaning, right? Yeah. Uh, In the middle of well, yeah, it's spring, it is spring. There it is, yeah, it's not too late, you can still spring clean. There it is. In fact, (laughs) did you guys know Hmm. uh, Memorial Day is the unofficial start of summer? Is it? Yeah, that's what I saw. I in preparation for today's show, uh, I was looking up Memorial Day just to see if there was any interesting tidbits. That's about it.
0: We'll use beds for the services today. How about that? Sounds Does that good. sound good Brilliant. to me? Yeah. 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 Uh, by the way, thank you guys and women too. That's right. You know, this is just say that right now. Thank you for your service.
2: Indeed. Memorial Day, according to Wiki, uh, is a federal holiday in the U.S. for remembering and honoring people who have died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. It's observed every year the last Monday of May. Mm hmm. I had no idea that it was the last Monday of May. The holidays are always such a, I just, I can't remember the dates they fall on. I mean, of course, other than like Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, I have trouble keeping up with Easter. That's like, well, Easter can pops be. Pops months. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Really it was confusing, confusing this year. It was really yeah. late. But wow. I do know Valentine's Day is on February 12th. All yeah. right, good, good, yeah. good. 12th, huh? Better to be early <laughs> early than late. Wow, yeah, there it is, yeah. I don't know why I can't remember that stuff. Um, I even get confused. Like, later in the year, I'll be talking about, I use, like, Memorial Day and Labor Day interchangeably because I just have no context of which is which.
0: I think as long as you remember the most important holiday in your...
2: My wife's what, birthday? Yeah. and maybe, maybe your
0: anniversary, too. Yeah, I have, so.
2: those, I have yeah. those down pat. Good. I do usually <laughs> have to do math though when figuring yeah. out my kids' birthday like uh-huh. the year. Yeah. Cuz it just I don't, never really memorized them so I'm like
1: oh. you know how old they are but yeah not the year they're born. Yeah. So I have to do math. <laughs> like you know
2: when you're filling out like a health insurance form or something I'm like, "Okay, 16, okay, 02, got that." Anyway.
0: Do you do the thing whenever you're upset with your one of your kids like you go through all the names and whoever you get to last. Because my dad would do that. You just start I, you know,
1: yelling out names and it's like reflex. Uh, it's like, wife's <laughs> name,
2: oldest child. No, it's the young one, darn it. I, no, I don't have that as much. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm not a big yeller to begin yeah. with, so I don't find myself like flustered in the moment very yeah. often. However, I do find that I'll... Sometimes, especially after like uh this last weekend I went to my little brother's wedding and all weekend long I'm calling the kids by my brothers' names and my <laughs> brothers by my kids' <laughs> names. And you know, it's usually when I'm describing somebody is somewhere with so-and-so, and I just am just blowing it. So that that's a weird thing I do. It mm. makes me feel like I am reverting to childhood or something. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Or accelerating to senility. (laughs) (laughs) Try not to look at it that way. Yeah. 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 So anyway, here we are. Tail end of May. These uh, months are flying by, aren't they? Mm -hmm. They seem to do that lately. They do. And uh, yeah. So today on the show, we thought we'd um, talk about Uh, VA loans a little bit seems like the right thing to do on Memorial Day weekend. There's a few tidbits in there, I think, that some people don't know. I also think to talk about uh, VA loans for the entire two-hour episode would probably be uh, boring for most people. So we don't have to do that. Um, But we might as well jump in Well two things One is I still don't think it's old news It's not too old to just say um, Central Coast Lending was voted the best (laughs) in Slow County It's never too old to say (laughs) that (laughs) Never too old I'm still riding that wave It feels good And since the logos and banners and things are still around I keep seeing it Like in some of the other local businesses I go into I'm like hey we were the best (laughs) too (laughs) Best in our category anyway. So that feels good. Um, And yeah, it it feels good. The interest rates are very good. That's nice. We got the 10-year bond yield. Loving it in the uh, 2.3 upper end range there, which is very nice, taking us back to – um, the beginning of last month, still looking for that last week of March low. I mean, the bond yield is there. The interest rates haven't quite caught up yet. That's
1: when they dipped just ever so slightly below 4%, right? Yes.
2: <laughs> and we locked some loans and closed some deals at the sub 4 and um it was very exciting. That was... Gave me so much hope, and then as soon as that got going, rates kind of went barely above. But they've been inching their way slowly back towards that rate, and I think uh hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we might get all the way there. You never know. A um, little bit of financial data and other things... Um Sure is a mixed bag lately. We see the Fed talking about the economy um, growth being more moderate than it's been lately. But then uh, we get trickled in some inf- interesting information that makes it feel like some parts of the economy are very strong and other parts of the economy are just ho-hum. And um, stock market, too, looking at the stock markets are Interesting from one day to the next. Feels generally down, but it sneaks in an up day almost every other day, which seems to level it back out into this same range. Got some Brexit stuff going on. Getting ready for another vote there. All the excitement. Some trade war stuff. Trump's tax returns. Sounds like the tax returns thing is imminent. That ought to make a lot of people happy. That's the general feeling, right? I don't yeah. really
0: understand why the tax return is such a big deal. Why? Uh, I
2: can only think of one reason. Yeah. One so reason what? that I would care about would yeah. be if it was evident that um there was some sort of business relationship or special like kind of like a special interest type of deal. If it was really clear that being president while being such a business tycoon led to increased profits to businesses and thereby him personally, I don't love that. Feels like conflict of interest. Otherwise, I don't think I care. Yeah, I don't really care either. Yeah, I don't have much to add. It seems
1: very political. It really it's a is. Lot of, it's for political ammunition is probably the primary it is. Yeah. reason. But yeah, then to see any... Expose any conflicts of interest or...
2: Well, I had a friend this last week like that, that was got got all over social media, super upset about um, that. Wow, uh, what was an article a few weeks ago about how over this decade, um, however long ago. I mean, it was like 20 years ago. The stuff that got ago, leaked, yeah, from yeah. the 90s. That he'd lost money during that period. And, you know, I mean... I see lots of people's tax returns, and if anything, I would say that the tax code situation um, lends itself to if you have businesses um, that lose money, then you get to write those off and carry that stuff forward. We see a lot of it. Sometimes I see it like on local farmers or other things that I'm like, dang, that's crazy how these guys – have the ability to work within the tax code in a way like that that's um, legitimate. And so if that's frustrating, um, I think it's frustrating too. It's super frustrating that the tax code is that way. There's a couple of things that
1: I think are being brought to light here with this whole fight over tax returns. Um, Bigger picture type of issues, I think, First and foremost, we're really figuring out whether or not we truly have balance of powers within our political system. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, in favor of, of someone holding a high office like that having to disclose tax return information prior to being elected because I think it does expose any potential conflicts of interest and you can, um, you know, figure out how to eliminate those conflicts before taking office. So I I like that aspect of it, but I think what we're fighting, what we're finding out here is do we really have a true balance of powers and separation of powers and have one body of government uh, able to oversee another body of government? And it's proving to be, um, harder than I thought it would be. Um, and everything that's being done is getting challenged in court. So it's, it's this, I mean, talk about some real political gridlock. That's, that's what. We're seeing here to sort out whether or not we really have balance of power, and then the other thing I think we're seeing on a tax perspective is just how some uh, some people—I I, want to say wealthy—but it's not even limited to wealthy people. How certain people are just able to take advantage of the tax code. Um, you know, in addition to Trump, being I want to say wealthy
2: in that world
1: because. But we see it with people who aren't even on that level of wealth as right. Trump, but, but we're it, seeing it at a corporate level. You can
2: afford to have advisors, right? Sure. If you've got a tax attorney and/or a, a high-powered CPA that understand the tax code well. um, that and, and to me that's one of those things where it's like the wealthier you get, the more complicated your taxes get and the better people you have at the helm and it seems that there are more crafty ways to delay and or avoid paying taxes altogether.
1: Well, in addition to that ten year period of Trump's returns getting disclosed where he lost a billion bucks or whatever, um at least on paper, um, you know, there was also from this most recent tax cycle here, there were like 60 different corporations that were all huge. I mean, trillions of dollars transacted through these companies where they all paid less zero, than zero tax or yeah. less or got refunds. And then, you know, you're also hearing stories related to Trump's tax returns where, or, or his financial picture, I should say, where in some instances he's, you know, disclosing low values of assets because that benefits him in those situations, but then in other situations where he's disclosing higher values of assets, because that helps him maybe get loans or whatever, and so you've, you're you're really exposing how tax issues and financial disclosure issues can be manipulated in different ways at different times by the same person or company or whatever to for different means, yeah, um, for different purposes, and it's it's really. I think frustrating um, for most people to see that, that they don't have those opportunities and they just pay the the rate, the 30% rate or whatever their rate is.
2: If there is any um, good to come of the publicizing of all of this is that it hopefully starts, continues and deepens that dialogue about whether or not the whole tax system is just and fair and whether people are in fact, and companies, more companies, I I seem to take issue more with the companies not paying what I think is their fair share. I agree. Um, So
1: I think there's a responsibility from corporate America to also pay taxes because they also use the same infrastructure and, and things that, people use as well and and you know to transport their goods and and things like that so i think they also need to pay their fair share i it it is frustrating the other thing that i see is you know where you, where you see trump losing a bunch of money again not limited to him or just people of his wealth but others as well um, where you you do these non operating losses and on one hand i understand why if you suffer a catastrophic loss you know if you truly experience a financial loss why you should be able to write that off beyond 1 year but in some instances it feels like more of a just a tax game than anything um and and to be able to be in a sense rewarded for years and years on end to um continue to roll forward these non-operating losses seems seems like not what the intent of that is. It's and well, that and that I feel like maybe needs to be scrutinized a little more.
2: I guess in order to like to to really get down to it on that issue, we'd have to talk about like some specific instances because oftentimes the losses are um they're real losses, whether it's a significant devaluation or elimination of an asset that was once held um, that's now gone, or it's a true operating loss where you have a business that business that lost revenue. Um, most of the time, there is an original significant loss that occurred. Um, and, you know, like I know one of the most popular things in the loan world that more more common things that I see, and it's starting to kind of sunset now, but, Um, There was lots of local citizens here in Slow County that made investments into local financial firms that were in the business of making um, what they thought was secured first deed of trust home loans, be it for construction or just private money, hard money type of financing, but in good faith sent forward actual dollars, say that you... took a distribution from your stock account account, and gave one of those companies $100,000, believing that it was secured by a piece of property where you were in first position, the risk was generally minimal, and the uh, misappropriation of those funds led to your $100,000. Like in a lot of these cases, one of the things that happened was that they were using multiple title companies to secure – Um, the quote-unquote first deed of trust, and we found out later that oftentimes the interest was unrecorded or it was recorded multiple times against the same property, thereby there's no equity. And so when the house of cards falls, there's no recourse for that investor that now has lost 100% of their principal. So in that case, if you sent off $100,000 and you really lost that $100,000, And it's really an asset that's now gone and unrecoverable. Should you then be able to carry that loss forward against your state and federal tax liability until it's exhausted?
1: Yeah. And that feels like a fairly easy one to say, yeah, you should be able to. You suffered that actual loss.
2: I wonder, though, it was the greed of you as the investor making Uh, Is it
1: greed or did you think you were making a sound investment? I mean, if there's nothing wrong with making a profit, you know, conducting business, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. It's where, I mean, I I have trouble thinking of another scenario, but maybe if there was like a, a real estate asset where you bought it for, you know, a million bucks, but when it burnt down or I don't know, whatever, you you know, you said it was worth 5 million bucks. Well, you didn't necessarily, I mean, I guess you lost $5 million of something in value, but maybe what you actually put into it was less than that. I don't know. There's, like I said, I'm not here to, to necessarily change this law, but I do think that it's something that needs to be looked at. Um, you know, the things that I've actually seen in-, in looking at people's tax returns, like a farmer who lost a herd of cattle to disease, that's a real, true loss. And in order to replace those sure. cattle, you're going to have to put out real dollars. See, now I, I see, get that.
2: Yeah. And I see other situations commonly around here where somebody owns a great big piece of property that's worth a couple million bucks and they, quote unquote, grow grapes or graze cattle or something. And it's a way that they've made an aesthetic improvement or maybe a hobby improvement, some sort of improvement under the guise of it being a business that now loses forty or fifty thousand dollars a year and it doesn't it's like that money was really discretionary money that you chose to spend based on the practice and in how you wanted your property viewed and used. And you're using that then as, you know, quote unquote business losses to lower your tax liability on what is really your primary residence. So I see things like that that seem abusive and egregious, too. And those are the kind of things that make me think that maybe our tax code's too complicated. They should just be simplified. Wasn't it supposed to be – weren't we supposed to be filing on a postcard this year? I thought so. (laughs) Anyhow, maybe you did. I I didn't. I didn't.
0: (laughs) Mine was a few pages long.
2: Yeah, Yeah. mine was a few, They were shorter, more concise. Uh, I don't think any less complicated. <laughs> no. All right, guys. Time to take first commercial break of the hour here. Um, if we didn't scare you off with um, tiptoeing around the political talk, then uh, we'll welcome you into the next 15-minute segment here, a half-hour segment, where we won't talk about anything political whatsoever. So stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Welcome back. All right. I have a question for you, Daniel. Yo. How are you feeling, you know, confidence-wise? In the economy? Yeah, like in your job, in the economy. Well, I feel good about my job.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, That feels good. I feel good about the economy. I feel, yeah, I think it's good. Good?
2: Yeah. Above s- average. On a scale okay, I like that. I'm starting to hone into a range here. but Like if it average. were
1: like a one to ten scale. Tell me about a I'm time. Like a tell six me about a seven. time
2: it felt a lot better.
1: During my career, yeah. I don't know that it's in your felt necessarily
2: a lot better. So in you my might career. be at the upper end of the range then.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could maybe argue like that pre-recession couple of years before everything really
2: came. Felt pretty boomy. Maybe, maybe a little bit. Credit cards were flying around. Everyone was pre-approved. Money was easy to get. Incomes were like your friend group was making so much money.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably it. Uh, The people around me were employed um and, and making good money and starting to get established as adults and yeah you know that it's kind of a thing. little
2: different too now right because back then you were like single dan without a whole <laughs> lot of worry you got right. to surf a lot <laughs> and like take spontaneous trips to the movies or something <laughs> just join somebody to for dinner tomorrow yeah on a whim all what billy. are you doing
1: nothing i'm not doing anything i could go
2: do that so it's a little <laughs> bit different today, right? A little so bit. I try to think about that. How about you, Jim? What say you, Jim? How do you feel about the economy? I feel pretty
0: good about it, actually. Yeah. You know?
2: You've been working for the radio for quite a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, pre and during and post recession, right? Oh yeah, for sure. And, and that didn't really
0: affect us me
2: not terribly, right? No, not really. Um but so no. like looking around peer group, family, friends. The status, people feeling pretty good?
0: I think so. I think everybody seems to be pretty comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I Feels mean. it's
2: pretty good, right? Can you think of a time that it seemed a lot better? No. Yeah. Not
0: really. Yeah. I don't so know, but.
2: I found it particularly interesting that this last um, reading here on the Con- Consumer Sentiment Index uh, came out to a 15-year high for the month of May, exceeding forecasts. Um, and the expectation index within the overall reading was the highest. So people have high expectations of what's to come. Um, and you know, of course, consumer confidence is, is one measure of the overall economy about how are you feeling? You know, what's it look like? How's it feel? How confident are you in your income and your stability in your life? Do you feel like the shoes about to drop on you. And in this case, we're finding out that, um, most people feel pretty good and, um, have expectations of things getting better. Um, which I just, I mean, I was kind of looking at that with a little bit of, a um, a little bit of surprise. You know, if you tune into too much social media or too much news, there's no shortage of chatter. You mentioned um kind of political ammunition earlier. I we're we're wrought with that. Um and real estate values are high, which means affordability is low. Um healthcare seems like it's still kind of a mess. And um, I mean it's a very expensive bill for most people. Um I just I'd found it surprising that people in in the whole big picture, we're at a fifteen year high right now in terms of their confidence. And I think one of the things that that shocked me the most is that this reading came out on the heels of the last retail sales reading. Um, and retail sales came out strikingly low. So I feel like it just I feel like logic dictates if you're confident with high expectations of, increased economic stability looking forward wouldn't you be out spending money
1: you would think you would think that you'd have that confidence and i mean i think from our perspective i i see that i see people continuing to want to show up to our business to get pre-qualified to do things above and beyond just primary residence shelter. I see people wanting to buy investment properties. They're interested in, in buying that first rental. Or, or a vacation or home. Vacation or, home. Or, you know, these are things that are done because you feel like not only are your needs met, but you've got accessibility to take a little more risk yeah. and um, take on something else beyond just your own house.
2: Yeah, and I think it also... To me, it really um, underscores the the confidence in the real estate market. Um, mm-hmm. I I still hear people that that express concern, you know, um, concern that it's been it's gone up for too many years in a row, and you know that whole conversation about uh, when it stabilizes or how much it'll decline once it officially peaks and these kind of things. I hear a little bit of that, but the the real estate investors, and I, I'm using that term even to encompass those that are buying, if you're just buying real estate, even if it's your first home, you're investing in real mm. estate. And it really feels like people are still very confident in the real estate market. Um and yeah, like you said, making those making those changes, looking, feeling secure and feeling like they've got some extra money or some savings to put to work. Um, So just kind of surprising to me. But look at where the unemployment rate is. I mean, it's what 3.6
1: or something was the last very low. I mean, I can't remember an unemployment rate that low. And I think that is the primary component of people feeling good about the future, having a job, having possibilities because a job I mean, that's great to have a job today, but having a job today means that there could be better opportunity tomorrow. Right. You're safe today, and now you're excited about tomorrow. When you don't even have a job, everything seems bad. Right? I mean... Ever, yeah, there's yeah, nothing good, and nothing one, to look
2: for. One to. thing we know about the recent couple generations here is that um, people aren't afraid to switch employers anymore. No, there's uh, not a lot of loyalty with companies. Take off to that better offer, that better schedule, that better office, that shorter commute, that employer that's willing to let you telecommute on Fridays or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever that accommodation that you find, um, people are awfully willing to make a move um, just to – Improve the the environment a little bit, and so I, I agree with you. I think that when you have a jobs market this strong, most people realize that um, you you have some mobility within the job market, right? And if nothing else, it's going to make me feel like employers are are also cognizant of that and wanting then to create a better work environment too. You know, in that era of higher unemployment you would you would just i would think that you're expecting less wage growth less opportunity for advancement there are people that want your job mm-hmm. and it that sort of could create an environment too where the boss can ask a lot of you with little in return and can ride you hard with um you know maybe even a demeanor that you don't like and you might just be forced to put up with it but in this environment where The job market is just so good. There's other opportunities. And so from the top down and the bottom up, work environments just got to be better. Keep people at the table, uh, optimistic about tomorrow. I think that does play a big role in um, the overall consumer confidence, right? Absolutely. And we've had a run of this for a good while. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's probably a big part of it. Um, Just a little bit surprising to learn that, um, you know, retail sales are down. Retail sales have a lot to do with GDP, and all of that is really tied to confidence. Makes me wonder, too, if people are um, changing a little bit in terms of being the consumer.
1: Yeah, I mean, some of it's also relative just because someone – feels better today than yesterday, it doesn't mean they necessarily have available discretionary income to spend on retail
2: sales. Especially if the reading is highest in expectation. Right. I might not be flush today, but boy, I expect to be tomorrow. Right. Which could keep me from wanting to spend, um, but has me optimistic that I expect to be able to spend soon. Right. Um, and another another little piece to this that uh, that ties right in here, um, a couple of housing reads here that matter. One is new construction. We just got these numbers for the month of April. Home building has exceeded expectations again. Uh, housing starts increased by 5.7%. We're up to the 1.235 million units. Um, for the month, which was only forecast at 1.205. So you got quite a bit of extra building going on there, beating expectations. March uh, data was also revised higher, um, and permits likewise increased, showing a rate of Um, almost 1.3 million. So if all of those shovels break all of that ground, it leads to yet more construction around the corner. Um, And it looks like that sort of paints the picture that the future looks pretty bright, hey? It's nice to have more housing units in a a world where there's not enough. (laughs) If there's any fly in that ointment, permits for single-family housing decrease for a fifth consecutive month. Most of the housing gains are happening in multifamily type of housing, which really isn't surprising, right? We're seeing headlines in the state now that might be looking to outlaw single-family zoning going hmm. forward, wow. and many jurisdictions are going to be faced with that. I mean, we saw last year we saw sign into it was probably two years ago now. It's because I'm getting old, and the years just keep stacking up. But um, we saw the state pass. Um, Senate bill that made it to where you could do an accessory dwelling unit by right, which Mm -hmm. is forcing many of the jurisdictions to figure out, okay, how are we going to handle this? What are the guidelines going to be in just adding to the housing inventory, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I'm seeing articles now circulating that many places are looking at outlawing single-family residential zoning um, just in an effort to start to make more more dense housing. If you're going to build a house, you need to put a studio above the garage or throw a, a granny flat out back. Got to do something to get a little bit more squeeze out of that juice. Is
1: there such a thing as single family zoning anymore? It seems like everything's a planned unit
2: development. Agreed, but I'm thinking I'm thinking more retroactively to existing single-family zones. Interesting, where you could go back through, you know, like I could fit another little something on my property. Um, When you go, if you depending on where you are in the city or the county, you truck into the office and you say, "Hey, I'm here to explore adding uh, a second unit behind my house." you're hit with some real guidelines now about what that ancillary dwelling unit needs to look like, maximum square footage, how far from the main residence it needs to be, how much parking and lot coverage and these kinds of things. And so those are all tied to what the zoning for that single-family residence is. So if if something comes out later that comes back and says, well, hey, we're striking any SFR zoning, off now and and here's what it looks like going forward where it's a bit more clear uh what it looks like for you to be able to add additional residential so i actually uh,
0: had that with the city they actually told told me that we could add another house on the back of the property yeah I wanted to. problem is they'd have to tear down part of the house to get the driveway through for some the back. ingress so egress. Yeah, i'm not too into that mm-hmm. you know but uh but, uh, yeah, they they, uh, yeah. AG, they told us that a couple of years ago.
2: But, Jim, at some point down the road, when the situation gets dire enough, as home values are so expensive and, and unaffordable, yeah. it may become economically the best choice to mm-hmm. chop off part of that dining room so that you can put that driveway in, so that you can put that rear unit in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what you're describing to me is that, That currently, it's just not the most economically feasible plan. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what we see changing. So, um, And then the other little piece of data here, which I think also ties just right into this whole conversation about existing home sales. Um, Existing home sales are pre-owned housing inventory declining 0.4% in the month of April. Um, We learned that this week the the decline in existing home sales just means that fewer people are selling homes. Um, we thought there was going to be a slight increase to 5.35 million resales and said it came in at 5.19 million. Um, that means that the sales were 4.4 percent lower to April of last year. And this is the 14th consecutive month of annual decrease. Um, that means that fewer people are selling homes still. So the majority of what there is to have transact now, um, well, not the majority. This still trumps the new construction numbers, but it it, it just keeps pushing up. If you need to buy a house, you might really need to consider buying something that's freshly built. Mm -hmm. Uh, Median home price had an annual increase of 3.6% inventory increased to 1.83 million nationally we have a 4.2 month supply if homes sold at the current pace we'd be out of homes for sale in 4.2 months um, one of the most shocking things about this metric here um, is that homes were on the market for an average of 24. Days, wow! It's taking marketing time a little over on three a weeks. National average of a little over three weeks. If you want to sell your house, it's going to sell quick. You we better just, have a plan. We just sold my
0: grandma's house in less than five hours. Wow! <laughs> yeah.
2: Priced yeah. right, yeah.
1: Huh? Yeah, apparently. Yeah. 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 <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe you should list a little higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah makes, you wonder, right?
2: <laughs> makes you wonder, right? Makes you wonder. That's that art of the deal. Get it priced right. See if you can get the right people to the table and get out. So, but, but selling in five hours, you guys were happy with the number. Yeah, yeah, that's all that matters, know. right? And
0: they happen to have one of those realtor tours. Uh-huh. It's on a Friday. Had a realtor tour. What's new on the market? We put it on the market on a Friday morning, and somebody was actually looking and wanted it and right there. Friday six o'clock in the evening, got a call saying, "Hey, got it's, a, not got a
2: buyer. it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon." All right, we're going to go ahead and take a commercial break here. Uh, we got to take some time out to thank the sponsors that helped make the show possible. And then we'll be back with more Mortgage Matters. All right, everybody, welcome back. We've got the final little segment here before we make the top of the hour break. So I thought it'd be good for us to discuss Wednesday brought the Fed minutes from the last Fed meeting. Um, Nothing too surprising there, though definitely some stuff worth talking about. And we should begin by saying that this Fed meeting happened really before the Chinese uh, tariff import tariff um, blowout right mm-hmm. and um, also um, well that's really the main thing um, is you, you've got just sort of a, a battle over there that potentially leads to some global economic slowdown so that being said some of these, Uh, The items that are discussed here may be subject to change given um, that this wasn't available to them when these meetings were occurring. So this was the uh, April 30th to May 1st, straddled that two months there. And as you recall, the feds decided to not raise interest rates. The post-meeting statement basically said um, the fed to be patient um and so now though what we get is a little bit of um the what happened inside that room talk what was the the big talk did they argue was there total consensus what's the overall uh feeling in the room and so we get to look at that a little bit bit of a mixed bag it seems
1: Uh, yeah as far as opinions and you know those who would like to see rates move higher assuming the economy continues to to grow and evolve as expected and others who still are a bit puzzled by the economy and maybe still want to be a little cautious heading forward emphasizing that patience um that we've heard so much of from the fed
2: yeah that's right um and it seems that the the majority of the discussion um Quickly got into so inflation's muted. We're in a real wait and see type of pattern. There doesn't seem to be any compelling reason to believe that there's a move in the short term future for rates up or down. Um, they then ended up in quite a discussion trying to wrangle this idea of what to do over the three and a half to four trillion dollars worth of assets they hold. Um, in U.S. treasuries and mortgage-backed securities um, if there's plan then to sort of unwind some of that stuff. Um, And interestingly enough, uh, it was in the minutes we learned that many participants thought it might be helpful for the Fed to load up on shorter-term securities now so that they could trade for longer-term securities um, and bring down long-term rates uh, as a way to sort of stimulate the economy out in that long-range view. So that's interesting. That feels, um, you know, that that's sort of that quantitative easing thing, right? We were used to that before, weren't we? We saw mm-hmm. whatever they were, round one, two, three, and then we had Twist and Operation Twist and Shout, whatever it was, where the feds were you know, having the rate at which they were buying up these securities and have been holding the securities quite a long time, letting some of it run off, and they're looking now at potentially as the conversations erupting whether the Fed should be attempting to buy some of these securities now to trade into different positions which would lower the long-term interest rates. I thought, that's cool. Isn't it's going
1: it? to twist again. At least they're going to be um – prepared to if needed so just just planning for a potential recession i mean i and i think this is where you've got diverging opinions at the fed you know you've got some people who see um you know they're looking at at certain market indicators that would suggest that we're six months or sooner away from the next recession and others who are saying what are you talking about look at employment look at Look at housing look at look at all the big things in the economy and how well they're doing what do you mean a recession that's not even on in the cards at this point um, so I'm always a fan of being prepared um, so I, I like that there's at least that thought of preparing for
2: an economic downturn and how to how to Best brace cruise
1: through that as well. This is
2: the big second part of the conversation: is that there was staff presentations that were basically showing that um, trading off would come at higher long term rates today, which would leave the Fed with less path to cut rates to stimulate the economy if need be. So you definitely see that the Fed is. Ca- carefully calculating what you're describing wanting to make sure that we got some tools in the bag mm-hmm. for if we get a little bit of gloom in the economy how are you going to chase it away um and and ultimately no decisions are made but again the important thing here on the minutes we're getting a look into what they're talking about um it was interesting to me that that you know we're, there's still some debate
1: as to what fed action should be taken if any as far as rate policy and then this comment that i'm reading about the the minutes here is saying that many economists are still expecting a rate cut and and a lot fewer economists are expecting a rate hike it's again still surprising to me that we're that given some of the thing i i guess i must be one of the people who sees a uh, an economy on still an upward trajectory, a growth pattern. Um, th- I, I guess if I were in the room, that would be the stance I would take, because I see low unemployment, I see people confident, and um, you know, I I see I see generally positive things out there. So I would be looking at. I, I understand patience, but I still think the next Fed move is to raise interest rates.
2: From what I saw. There was a 25% chance right now of a Fed rate cut being the next move. Um, some saying it could come as soon as September, which I thought was fascinating. One of the things about some of the Fed minutes that I also thought was interesting, though, is the, the talk about the um, inflation. We see the word muted a lot, um, that... This this was one of the reasons why many of the members of the Fed, voting and non, are big fans of a, a patient approach of just watching to wait and see if this inflation is something that is in fact muted and that you shouldn't be drawing hasty conclusions based on what appears to be a little bit of softness here on the inflation, talking more about – um some of the reasons the inflation was soft you know i saw talk that it had to do with some services and financial services and brokerage fees and things like this that are just lower um, as a result of technology and this kind of shrinking economy um in in that regard of those dollars collected on goods and services are a little bit less just because of how competitive the environment is today and the consumer having more choices than ever for pretty much anything you're in the market for, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, they were also showing how like in terms of brokerage fees, those were always tied closely. Historically, were tied very closely to the performance of the market, right? When the market does well, the brokers make a lot of money. The models today are not very much tied to the success. They're more tied to percentages of the purchase and don't really get the windfall profits of the gains in the market. And therefore, those are contributing to some of the muted inflation numbers. That's, you know i i don't write the mail i just deliver it so that's that's just kind of part of that but anyhow the the fear though is that um you know increasing rates would drive um potential inflation um and thereby recession risk and so they're patient. So this is partially why we're seeing these bond yields come down and these rates come down Is the feds really just trying to calm everybody and say, there's not great reason to believe it's going one way or the other. We got the top of the hour commercial break here. We'll be out for about five minutes. Do some mandatory break. and We'll be back with a whole nother hour of mortgage matters. Hope you stick around. June. and we're having all the fun in here it's memorial day weekend happy memorial day everybody thanks again to yep.
0: once again thanks
2: to everybody that served yep mm-hmm. thank you thank you we are gonna talk sometime this hour about uh about our veterans seems like the right thing to do i keep wanting to say apropos is that the right is that the right thing to say
1: I don't know. That's not a word that I use a lot. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <Is that right? laughs> it seems like well, the memorial, like you were saying earlier, is one more for the people that are no longer with us. Thanks for their service. You know, that's Unless right. The veterans are the ones that are still with us.
2: Um, are you? I'm. I'm going to look it up. I think it just very means appropriate. appropriate. Yeah, yeah, very appropriate. Yeah. So then it's apropos. It is apropos. <laughs> apropos. Got to try to incorporate, you know, new words in yep. the vocab. Yeah, I'm going to start using
1: that word a lot more now. You
2: should. Make, <laughs> make sounds smart. <laughs> right. Apropos. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. You too, Jim. Thank you. You used that one later today and knocked the socks off someone. That was so apropos. Very, very. <laughs> Feel fancy now?
0: Yeah. Highfalutin word.
2: Highfalutin <laughs> feel like highfalutin, you just took us yeah. down a notch. That sounds, <laughs> <laughs> highfalutin sounds like something I'd hear in a salon. Yeah. Like a, or a saloon. Mm. A saloon. <laughs> Two O's or one. <laughs> Don't test me. Yeah, there you go. There's the
0: difference there.
2: Yeah. So, anyhow, big plans for the Memorial Day weekend? Got some plans. Got some plans. Jim, you got any plans? Um,
0: not particularly. Yeah. Although I wouldn't be opposed to a good barbecue or something. There you go. It's always a good thing to do on Memorial there it is. Day weekend. There it is. Yeah. A little tri-tip, a little corn on the cob, mm-hmm. a little bit, of, you know, baked potatoes. Sweet. What time yeah. should I be there, Jim? You know, there is. What wow. time?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what time is it ready? Okay. Yeah. You got me feeling hungry all of a sudden. Is it lunchtime yet?
2: Yep. Feels like it. I don't Get know. ready. The
0: playshell green room today just didn't
1: happen. It did not. It was bare bones. In addition to cleaning out all the the rooms of personal items, they yeah. cleaned out all the food as well. hmm Pretty
0: sad over there. Yeah. Probably not the fridge and probably wouldn't want to look in there, but anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if
2: it's anything like our
1: work fridge, it usually mm-hmm. it usually doesn't smell too great. Yeah.
2: So I wanted to talk about VA loans today. Do that. Um, we don't do it a lot. It seems like we do it just a couple times a year. And um, I think that there's a, a couple of sides of this conversation that are worth having. Number one is if you're a veteran wanting to use your uh, entitlement to buy a home, a first home, second home, Um, there's kind of a process for that. So we talk a little bit about that. Um, I helped a lovely lady, um, a friend of the show, met her through the radio. She listened to the radio show on a conversation just like this one. Um, we were talking about, I, I shared a little tidbit that, um, if you are the widow or widower, um, of 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 a deceased veteran, you still have an entitlement. Even though they're um, no longer with us, that sacrifice lives on, and you can actually buy a house that way. So I helped this lovely lady, Nancy, um, buy a house, and she bought the house, was in it for a handful of years, I think probably about five years, and sold it. She had just an amazing personality and sense of humor, and she called me to tell me she was, she didn't own a house, she was kind of a rolling stone, just kind of bounced from here to there, just happy to enjoy a life where she wasn't tied down. She wanted to be here on the Central Coast for a little while next to her daughter, and uh, was kind of wearing out her welcome, couch surfing the various households of people she knew in town, so, you know. I heard your show and you said that because my husband was a veteran that I could use his benefit and I could buy a house. So I said, you sure can. So we lined it up. She bought a house. She called me when she sold it a few years later, made a few hundred thousand dollars in profit on selling this thing. And just, she just said, I want you to know, I'm I'm going to go. Globe trotting again, this time with much more money in my pocket. Thanks so much. And, you know, it was just, it was a it was a great story, um, and yeah, and it's been a while since I talked to Nancy, but um, but so yeah. Bottom line is, um, there's a benefit there for surviving spouses that many are unaware of.
1: When does that benefit expire if the surviving spouse
2: remarries? Um, probably, I don't know. Good question. We'd have to call VA to answer that question.
1: (laughs) And then just another question, since I'm always interested in this stuff too, um, children, do children get any of that benefit passed on to them?
2: I think in terms of, there is some of the other VA benefits that'll go to minor children, but I don't believe that you could use like entitlement to buy a home unless you're a surviving spouse. Okay. Um, I don't think I'm trying to remember. I think if you remarry, you don't get to use it at that point. But it'd be it'd be worth looking into. Um so, and then and then the other part of the conversation here too, um, in fact, we should start here is One of the things that that bugs me, gets under my skin quick, uh, and as you guys can imagine, we have lots of interaction with real estate agents, and there's this general sentiment that comes along with a VA buyer where the seller, generally by way of the seller's agent, doesn't want to accept an offer from a VA applicant.
1: This comes up from time to time, both from loan officers as, and usually it's loan officers who've been in the business a while. Yeah. And realtors who've also been in the business. That's a That's right. Because that's an antiquated way of thinking about the VA loan. It used to be that when someone would buy with the VA loan, it was a bit of an extra burden on the seller
2: to absorb some additional costs Um, yeah, there was, and so I think a lot of this stemmed from this era where the old VA rules, um, just forbid the buyer from paying many standard fees.
1: Yeah. Which was great. They want to protect the veteran from being gouged with fees. So I, I get that, but it just became problematic for, um, for that offering process. People looked at those VA loans as a, as an inferior loan program and would accept other offers with other loan programs at a higher rate.
2: Yeah. And so a couple of things about that. I mean, first of all, let's just start by saying it's outdated information. Um, and I really don't like it. Um, I've one of my, life missions here professional missions here is to help people understand this that if you're wary of accepting an offer from a veteran um mass first part of me just want to say shame on you you know these are people that um, deserve if anything um a little bit of extra consideration and I'm not even going to suggest that the VA program is burdensome to sellers but um, one of the first places that sellers think that the VA is really problematic is in the appraisal process and so we can just we can hit that one head on the VA has a list of approved appraisers there's one for the for slow county And when you order an appraisal on a VA loan, it's going to one of those VA appraisers. They get a little bit longer turn time, um, and they do a pretty thorough investigation of the property to make sure that there aren't um, health and safety concerns or deferred maintenance things that might just scoot through on, say, a conventional loan. But by and large, most properties are in average condition or better, and this isn't something to be overly concerned about. Every VA transaction does require a termite report. And so you're going to end up in a position where um, if you choose to sell your house to A buyer that wants a termite report, you're going to have to negotiate that. If it's a veteran, you don't get to negotiate it. You're going to have to provide a termite report at your expense. They're not very expensive, one to $200 typically. Um, And then the findings of that report need to be addressed. If there are any pressing issues of active infestation, mold, fungus, dry rot, or water leaks, those things are going to need to be addressed and remedied. And I'd say that's probably the single biggest place of heartburn is that on a conventional loan you have the ability to sell a property as is without getting that termite inspection done. Um, so, but
1: in in actual practice, how many how many sales home purchase transactions um, would you say, regardless of loan program, is there a termite inspection performed?
2: Um. Man, I if you were gonna nail me down, I'd probably want to say it's occurring seventy five percent of the time. Okay, That's do you a agree lot. with that? You think I, it's high? I don't know. Um, I was
1: I was gonna say you know above or below fifty percent, closer to fifty fifty.
2: Well, well, I was gonna be more my question. I I yeah. I I'll guess tell I, you this. I know that real estate agents have gotten pretty good at. Not listing the termite report as a requirement of the contract, but then, but maybe then they're outside. doing the buyer as part of their due diligence is getting a termite inspection and then on their request for repairs or negotiating termite work that pops up on the report. So generally it's going to be something that you're going to navigate. And I'd venture to say that's probably true in 80 to 90% of transactions. Okay. So it's really not that much different than most transactions. No, but in those conventional ones where it's not required in the contract, then the work doesn't need to be completed necessarily as long as the parties come to terms. In other words, let's say that I'm buying your house and I don't make the term report part of our transaction. However, I get one done. And the termite guy comes back and says, hey, here's four pages worth of things that you should really be concerned about and want addressed. And so then I write up in my request for repairs and I say, Dan, these are the things that I found during my home inspection and my termite report, and this is what I want you to do. And you look at the list and you say, I'm not going to do $15,000 worth of repairs and and more importantly, I think sellers don't want to be responsible for that process, choosing the vendor, allowing them in the home. What if there's, you know, shoddy work completed or some other issue that's gonna to lead to some sort of involvement later. I just want to sell my house to you and just want to be done with you. So I'd rather just say, cool, let me give you a $15,000 credit. You choose the vendor, you be satisfied with the work, and you deal with any repercussions of not being satisfied with that work. Mm-hmm. That can happen in a conventional loan. On a VA loan, it's not going to happen. It has to be done prior to close. Any, schedule, any of those Section 1 items need to be handled through escrow prior to close. And so – you know, that's that's a consideration um on a transaction where like if you're gonna sell your house, most good real estate agents are gonna encourage their seller to obtain a termite report on their own prior to listing. That way they're they know what's coming. Give an opportunity to address any issue that might be coming mm-hmm. so that when the buyer uh, either accepts your termite report and the work that you've completed or gets their own, it's going to come back with no findings because the, those things have been managed. And that negotiation of the request for repairs is typically a pretty difficult thing for buyers and the sellers to agree on, right? Mm-hmm. Seller takes it personal that, you know, you're nitpicking my house now. You already agreed on a price. Now here you come after your... Termite report, and you got some issue with all of these things, and you're looking for more money, which I feel is that you're just trying to reduce what you agreed to pay me. So that element it just takes out the element of surprise. It also um, makes it easier to if the issues are known and identified and possibly mitigated or at least somehow planned for. It's pretty to make for a less stressful transaction. So I think many realtors have cozied up to that and are, are, are advising sellers and getting inspections like that before they list anyway, or at least early in their listing so that they know what's coming and won't be blindsided. Um, and I just suggest that that's pretty good practice.
1: Well, and then um, on the buyer side, even though it's not necessarily required in non-VA transactions, it just makes sense that if you're going to go buy a five, six, seven $700,000 home or more, that you're going to spend a couple hundred bucks on that report yeah. to know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. So I agree. I do think it's done quite often and it's not something to necessarily be afraid of as a seller when you see that VA offer. Right. Um, um,
2: and then yeah. the other thing, I think another, another reason that sometimes sellers are wary of accepting a VA offer is because they feel like if the borrower is not making a down payment, they don't have any skin in the game, and I struggle with this one too. Why would the seller care? My question to you: <laughs> um, You're still going to make a deposit, right? Even if you're not yeah. making a down payment, you can still be required to make uh, that still good an earnest, faith money or deposit. earnest money deposit. Yeah um at the and usually the the California contract calls for that deposit to be made within 3 days mm. of of the contract um and it's typically about 1% of the sales price
1: is kind of 1% common.
2: is very common it it can be or a flat amount like 5 or 10 grand or something I like that I see it anywhere between 1 and 3% and to be perfectly honest with you I raise my eyebrows at a buyer's agent who instructs a buyer to offer something more than that as a deposit, um, the liquidated damages clause of the real estate contract can leave that deposit um, in escrow and be fought over later. And so if making a deposit of 1% or 2% of the contract, which around here is going to be five dollars to $10,000, if that's sufficient to um, deposit to open escrow and get things up and running, why would you jeopardize putting in 20 or 30 or 50,000 bucks that might be tied up and fought over later? So, um, but yeah, generally, I'd say most transactions we see it at about 1% of the sales price. And I always scratch my head when it's more than 2%. I, it's hard for me to understand why. But as a seller, that deposit matters to me. Put that deposit in escrow. It lets me know that you've got some liquidity. It lets me know you've got some money. It lets me know that if you aren't able to perform and you drag me out on this contract, that I'm going to be able to come after you for some of that money. That's independent of your down payment. And so on a VA loan, yeah, you're not going to be making a down payment. So if you make a $10,000 earnest money deposit on the contract and at the end of the day, you don't have a down payment and the closing cost to the loan and the whole shoot and match is only $5,000, you're going to get a $5,000 refund from escrow. That money comes back to you, and rightfully so. So for, as a seller, not you can't be concerned about whether or not uh, the down payment represents some sort of strength to the transaction or not. And then the next component to that that I want to tell sellers is, Oh, There's barely a more accommodating loan than a VA loan, allowing really high debt-to-income ratios, the most tolerant of any loan program by far, allowing credit issues and credit score, again, far more tolerant than any other loan program um, generally by far. So if you're concerned with your borrower getting an escrow and then being able to execute the actual loan in the escrow period – they're really your highest likelihood of your borrower gaining approval through that process is going to come down to a VA loan. Mm-hmm. So you're doing yourself a favor in that regard by taking a VA borrow. It's very unlikely that it's going to blow apart in escrow due to a debt-to-income ratio or a credit issue or a down payment issue, right? So from that standpoint, much stronger deal for a buyer to endure um, except a VA loan. That's a, that's a great thing to do. On the um va deals the reason they fall out of escrow is generally going to be related to property things right the va if you have a fixer upper type of home don't accept a va buyer right. um it's not a good loan fit these really are intended for turnkey homes that aren't going to leave the veteran with work to do trying to bring a property up to snuff um We're going to go ahead and take first commercial break here of the show. There's more of this to talk about, so um, let's do this quick break here, take some time out to help to thank the folks that helped make the show possible, (laughs) and uh, we'll be back in just a minute here with more Mortgage Matters. Welcome back happy memorial day weekend there we go yeah.
0: whoop 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 they took out my sound effects man what am i gonna
2: do you can keep doing those old school yeah. whoop, whoop, manual whoop. sound effects <laughs> yeah i prefer the woot to the whoop but <laughs> yeah, yeah. you do you you do well, you. i have to
0: admit the the clap thing was kind of lame it, it was a weak clap best, yeah. yeah yeah yeah
2: i mean as far as claps go you had to Lesser variety of
0: clap. Yeah, I mean, that one's better than the way you had on the
2: machine. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Maybe we should just spend
1: um an hour after today's show recording some sound effects for future shows.
2: We could all clap together. Yeah, that and would sound then good. You yeah. put that on a track.
0: How does that sound? One, two, three. I feel like we're Sounds about like that. <laughs> I think it was no. It's I think what was that was clap was.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, so what I'm saying though is that we clap, right? And then you put that on a track and you loop it. Yeah. And then we clap again. And then we record that and we loop oh, it. We're just going to layer them on yeah. top. Yeah. Of oh. Oh. And, then, and, then, and then we clap sort of different cadences and things like that. And then mm. from the, we like lean back. Yeah. So <laughs> we so just we like like start like to layer these things <laughs> on. Like this. And then a... we literally could be like, okay. um, just in a A stadium full of crowd. Yeah. Yeah. That's just us cheering for ourselves. Yep.
1: That'd be great. Mm
2: -hmm. Let's do it. It'd be like
0: (laughs) ACDC. We, we get more response than Mm -hmm. ACDC. What if that's
2: possible? Right. Well, it's infinite. I mean, if you keep looping back the track that you're like doubling, this is an isotopic clap curve here. Okay. Getting wild. Wow. Yeah. You like that? Mm Mm-hmm. Very apropos <laughs> to today's conversation. Yeah. Why? <laughs> well, We're just so doing damn. a bunch of throwback stuff in this show, aren't we? Uh. So it would
1: be redundant to say very apropos. Because apropos already means very yeah. appropriate.
2: Yeah, you'd want to probably just, you'd probably want to call it quite apropos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then people will be like, man, this guy has culture. Where's he from? People Turning on the from? radio
0: thinking what am I listening what to What are you listening to <laughs> like, Well I'll tell you what you're listening like, to
2: we We're dispelling
1: a few myths about the VA home loan yes. and why sellers should not be scared off by a VA offer We talked about the termite report issue which is probably the biggest thing to
2: get over You need to consider that Consider it That's going to be part of your deal you if you're, again, if you have an average house that's in average condition, you're going to expect these things are going to come up in the request repairs anyway, um, and you, you just don't believe there's anything significant there enough that's going to ruin your deal, then I wouldn't worry about taking a VA loan. And then if as you've far got as some peeling paint and some water stains and... You know, I got some shingles that are cupped and curling and— Dry rot or termite. Yeah, things like this, and you, you know that you just don't have the money or wherewithal to endure that being fixed during escrow, that you just want it off your plate, then that's probably not a good fit for accepting a VA offer. That's probably one of the biggest things I want people to realize is that that— to me is the the only real fork in the road as to whether or not you should um the other big issue we brought up so far is if you're worried about your the
1: buyer potentially not qualifying or something va is one of the most lenient loan programs both from a credit perspective as well as a Income qualification perspective. Yeah. Um, Very, very lenient guidelines there. So low likelihood of someone who was already pre-approved having something come up during escrow that would disqualify them. That's not very likely. The other issue is fees. It's always been fee related. Well, Well, the
2: VA does limit what closing costs a veteran can pay. It does. And I want to say that confidently it does. But. Sellers are not required to pay any closing costs on behalf of the buyer. So, yeah, there's some things you're not going to be allowed to pay, like processing fees and other loan-related fees and and things that... Might egregiously stack up on an unknowing borrower. The VA has come out and just said, Hey, look, here's a list of things that you just aren't allowed to have my guy pay. And that's not a problem, but it doesn't lead to the seller then being forced to pay fees on the buyer's behalf. Well, it, it
1: used, I, I feel like it used to call out specific fees and say, You cannot pay an escrow fee. Correct. You cannot pay a notary fee. But those are those those are tied
2: to if you're paying an origination point on the loan. Right.
1: But yeah, VA would allow you to pay an origination point or discount point if reasonable. And so what the practice became was okay, I'm not gonna charge the borrower these fees that they're not allowed to pay. But what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to charge an equal discount point to so that me as the lender, I can go pay those fees on behalf of the borrower but not have to charge them those specific line-item fees. Which
2: really mattered 10 years ago when VA interest rates were the same or higher than conventional interest rates. And that was the case. So rate-wise... It would be the kind of deal where there wasn't enough room in it for the lender to be making money. What we've learned today is that VA interest rates are among the lowest interest rates there are on any loan program. They're probably only closely matched by FHA and generally better than FHA. And as a result of that, there's no need. So the, the, the pricing in that in, in just has so much compensation built in and around it that usually what you'd see is, um, this might be confusing to some people, but if if the normal deal on a VA loan would be you're going to get a three and a quarter interest rate and you're going to pay me one point origination, or you could have a 3.375 and then there's no origination. So many lenders, and in this, another thing that really bugs me about VA is that many lenders just do the 3.375 or maybe the 3.5, where they're making uh, one and a half times the commission, or two times the commission, or three times the commission, putting veterans into higher rates. And we see this most often with. Um, I don't want to get myself into trouble here because I think these banks have deeper pockets than we do mm-hmm. by far. But when you find a lender that advertises that they are a that they only do VA loans, you see them on the news channel, and they're like the name of their company has something to do with, you know, the veteran is in the name or the the VA is in the name or some other patriotic sounding term is the name of the bank and they're asking for you to do VA loans with them, those are the ones that are ripping people off. They're crazy egregious where, again, the interest rate might be three and a quarter at normal commission, but they'll just offer you a 3.375 making quadruple commission. And if you've called them because, hey, well, that's where I do my – auto insurance because that company allows us to do this just because we're veterans, then you're getting hoodwinked into taking a much higher rate, which is resulting in incredibly high compensation to the originating bank. So, um, That's that part, and again, that all ties into some of those fees where when there became disallowables, then it became, okay, well, then we'll just charge origination, and then we moved away from charging origination to just levying higher rates so that the banks are compensated for the higher rates. So um, we're real proud to offer the VA loans that we do are the same profit margin as any of the other loans that we do, which is a very rare thing. And I realize that with some of you, we have great credibility. And some of you that are listening to this today say, that doesn't mean much to me. I don't know what your profit margin is. And I don't know what's customary in the industry. I can just tell you that in the industry, and I've worked for multiple different companies in all aspects of loan origination and operations. Loans are generally you make the least amount of money on conventional loans, you make a ton of money on FHA loans, and you make gobs of money on VA loans and reverse mortgages. Um, We at Central Coast Lending, we have the same profit margin across all products. Um, not wanting to penalize anybody for being a veteran. That's crazy, right? I don't right. want to penalize people because you're over 62 and getting a reverse mortgage. I want to penalize people because you had a bankruptcy three years ago and you're getting an FHA loan. The, it's A loan's a loan for us, and we're happy just to be able to serve and do these here in town. And so – um. That that again. That's a big deal to us. Um, all of our loan officers are compensated the same, regardless of any product that they're doing.
1: That's what I was going to say. Not only is the corporate margin the same, it, the loan officers' compensation is the same. So they're, there's no incentive to sell one product, you know, before another. They're they're equally incentivized by all products we but offer, sure and so it's really just which one makes the most sense for you because. The loan officer compensation is going to be the same regardless. So they can
2: objectively figure out what the best fit and scenario is for the borrower, period, as it should be. Um, so again, I, I don't like those companies that specialize. If there's a company that has honed in on one particular product and are marketing to one particular group of people, they're generally doing it because they're making a ton of money off of it, and that's just the way that they lined it up. They spend a ton of money on marketing. They put a dude, an actor that you liked from the '70s with a bushy mustache out there, and they just start taking advantage of the people that 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 somehow, you know, because it's got Tom Selleck on the front, they. That's my credibility. Um, who are the other ones? I've been seeing some of these other ones. Um is it name if on one of them? There's there's I don't know. there's a few of them. I think he's them.
0: got a couple, and then Dennis Quaid is in
2: something. Yeah. Hmm. Um yeah. anyway. Yeah. Don't do it. So going back to the, to the VA conversation here, it's not going to lead to you, the seller having to pay fees on behalf of the VA buyer. So, um, I'll tell you this, I want to run back through those lists of why I would take this loan. Um, if I was a seller of a home, take this buyer, who's going to use a VA loan. Um, why not cast a net as wide as possible? Open my home up to the marketing of all the people. Um, In theory, the VA guy, because he's getting a super low interest rate among the lowest rates available, he's not making a down payment. So he doesn't have to have five or 10 or 20% down, and that's limiting his purchase power. These are oftentimes really strong offers dollar for dollar they're among the best offers because they have again they have that lower interest rate the difference between a VA loan at 3 and a quarter and a conventional loan at 4 and a quarter that might make the difference of several hundred dollars a month in Payment, which is then going to translate to $50,000 versus of purchase price. So if you follow that logic along, you can see that the VA guy um, is going to be able to make a stronger offer because they're in a better financial position. Secondly, um, those, like you mentioned, Dan, we talked about this before the break. I want to mention it again. It's such a lenient and tolerant program. You've got – among the highest allowance of of debt to income ratio of any product, um, credit is extremely forgiving. and um, you just we don't have deals fall apart for debt to income ratio or credit the way that you would see in other programs. So from a success in escrow standpoint, that VA transaction um, is a very high likelihood of performing. And then lastly, I just want to say, folks, this is apropos on Memorial mm. Day weekend. But these veterans have proudly served our country. They, um, in some cases, have made the ultimate sacrifice, but every single one of them was willing to. They, even if they never saw deployment into active duty, if they never went and got on the ground somewhere where there was hostile fire. Um, When they signed that, they signed up. They signed up knowing that that was very possible, um, that that outcome could possibly be the outcome. They did it willingly, and they did it proudly. And to think that anybody would blanketly not allow them to opportunity to buy a house because of that, um, we, we knew better than that. Just we knew better than that as American people. So... Whenever you hear those myths and misconceptions circling around, Um, I know we have a lot of real estate agents that listen to the show here. Um, Do your best when you hear those salty old agents that are out coming out against a VA buyer, Mm. coming out against a VA loan. Step in. Tell them it's not true. Tell them to call me. I'll walk them through uh, what they do need to know about it and help them dispel those myths and misconceptions. It's important. Um, And then likewise, lenders too. I think some lenders just aren't comfortable in it. They don't know what's allowable, what's unallowable. They don't know quite how to to navigate these things um, with confidence, and so they try to talk buyers out of it. Uh, you're not going to find that at our company. We're well-versed in VA loans. We're a, a VA automatic lender, That's right. um, and so we underwrite those in-house. In fact, your
1: loan will be underwritten by a veteran himself. Yeah. <laughs> our uh, our army.
2: underwriting manager is uh an army veteran. That's right. Um so, that being said, uh we welcome those transactions. We're not trying to talk anybody out of it and um we're we're really happy to be able to honor those um in and I want to make this special offer here for anybody that responds because of this radio show. You listen to this segment, you want to do business with us. Central Coast Lending will waive our fees on underwriting for anybody that wants to do a VA loan. Are you looking at me funny? That's okay. Don't think so? (laughs) Hey, you said it. Now we're going to do it. We can do it. Just just hear... Listeners of the show, as a result of this broadcast, that sign up to do a VA loan with us, we'll, we'll waive your underwriting fee. Um, tell them Jason sent you. We <laughs> are going to do.
0: Uh, Dad's still got the look on his face, but I, <laughs> I think we're okay.
2: <laughs> Understood. Um, all <laughs> well,
1: right. We're... That's what? It. I it? I work the PL. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> I well, hear I hear discounts and giveaways and it makes me cringe a little. But I it's in I this is a obviously this is a great a great situation, a great loan program to offer those discounts on. Um I was actually going to share a special program that we participate in after Yes, this Homes break. for Heroes. Yes.
2: Speaking of giving away money, Dan <laughs> wants to bring up the other way that we give away money. <laughs> um and we'll do it after this quick commercial break here. Stick around for more mortgage matters. Welcome back. We have just a few more minutes here together. And right before the break, Dan... Offered something. Foreshadowed a segment here where he'd like to describe ways that uh, he can give away money.
1: Yes, I would. I love I love giving away money, as I said before the break. Um, but one of the ways that we help... Our veterans is by participating. We have we have two loan officers who participate in the local Homes for Heroes program, and so the way Homes for Heroes work works is there is one loan officer and one realtor for each zip code. I th- I think that's the way they dole these uh, territorial rights out for this program um, is by zip code. So we participate in many of the zip codes in this county um, in the homes for heroes program. And when you do that, when you work with us through that homes for heroes program, we'll buy your appraisal and those appraisals for VA loans start at 600 bucks. Um, if there's a reinspection, which oftentimes there is because of, um, you know, some home repair or improvement that needs to be done, Um, then it ends up being a $700 fee that we absorb on behalf of the veteran. Um, What makes this program even cooler is when you're buying, when you're selling property, when as the seller um, and you work with a Homes for Heroes realtor, the the realtor will credit back a percentage of their commission. I think it's 25% of their commission gets credited back to you as the seller. Um, so it's a great, great program for the heroes of our country um, who want to work with the realtor and lender that sees the sacrifice you've made and want to reward you for that. Um, this Homes for Heroes program, I should say, isn't just limited to uh, military veterans. It's also available for um, fighter, fire. Or f- what did I say? Firefighters. Fire Firefighters. And EMTs, law enforcement, healthcare professionals, and teachers. Um, but you know, being that it's Memorial Day weekend, we wanted to highlight the military uh the military personnel and veterans and these benefits being available to them.
2: Okay. I have to ask you this. Yeah. I was going to the website here that's where you'd start. If you wanted to buy a house, you want to figure out what realtor participates in this. I think on the realtors end, they give you 25%, 25% of their commission, of their commission mm-hmm. which can be used towards your closing costs or or um, just paid to you. Homes for Heroes. So I, I typed in Homes for Heroes and I couldn't find the website.
1: It's homesforheroes.com, all spelled
2: out. Homes and heroes, I was spelling wrong. Heroes, oh yeah, because I spelled hero h e r o, e s. So you have to add an e s when it becomes plural. Yes, that's where the e comes from. Yes, I guess I just don't write that word enough. Feels weird to me.
0: Yeah, it's not h e r o s. It's h e r o e s. Okay. Yeah.
2: That's weird to me. Apparently, I'm the only person that would have that problem—just <laughs> dropping an S onto the word hero. Yeah. I have a college education too, <laughs> but you weren't an English major.
1: No, yeah. I wasn't. Yeah, you're more of a science guy. Yeah, science well, and math. Kind slack. Of guy. Yeah, yeah, that's so, yeah,
2: cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> sp- <laughs> spell it all out. Go on over to the website. If you're a home buyer, that'll help you figure out um, who the contact person is for you to talk to. And, um, that'll also get you paired up with us and, uh, we could get you going on saving money on your real estate commission and also get you going on getting an appraisal paid for, which is pretty great. Yeah. Um, those two things together equal quite a bit of money. It's not limited to just first time home buyers either. Um, it is for purchase buyers, but if you're, um, any, any active or retired, Um, armed services, like Dan said, police, fire, emergency medical, um, medical, and teachers, Teachers. then um, this is a great way for you to um, save a little bit of jingle and um, get a free appraisal. So definitely something there um, worth looking into, homesforheroes.com. How many zip codes do we have? Do we buy them all? I
1: don't know. I think we have the majority of the county, if not all. Um, and we've been participating in this program for a number of years now. I want to say at least five years. Uh, it's something we really believe in. Uh, we really believe in taking care of those people who take care of us and our kids and our families. And it's our little way of of giving
2: back and saying thank you. Um, I have family that served in the armed forces for the U.S. Most of us do. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to just point out uh, a regular helper on the show here, one of our favorite loan officers, Jason Van Dyke, is a veteran. And um, I think working with somebody that um, if you're a veteran and that's important to you, then you could work with Jason Van Dyke. He's a veteran. He gets it. He'll help you whether or not you're doing a VA loan. Um, like you mentioned, we have Jeff. You said Jeff was Army. I think Jeff was Navy. Oh, you're right. I recall. You're right. Jason was Army. Jeff was Navy. Um, so, yeah, we have uh, veterans on staff that are uh, ready, ready to help. Yeah, we have a few other loan officers that are married. Yeah. Um, Two veterans, but um those are those are our staff members that'll that'll be more than happy to help you out. And you know, like I said, some some people it's really important. If you're a hero, you want to work with a hero. I get it. So you can hit those people up and, and get some help. Um it would be great. And uh what else? What was the do you have anything else about the VA loan that you think is pressing to discuss today? Man. Putting me on the spot. Another thing about the VA loan that I think always surprises people is that um, the the loan amounts, you can get great loan amounts on VA loans. That's
1: a great point. Yeah, VA loans, you can get 100% financing in San Luis Obispo County up to $677,000 purchase price. When you exceed that $677,000 purchase price, the required down payment is just 25% of the difference between the actual purchase price and that maximum yep. 677. So if you buy a a home for 700,000, the difference is $23,000. Your minimum down payment requirement is 25% of $23,000. $4,781.
2: So, $4,781. Sure, something
1: like that. A little <laughs> over 5 grand. Little, almost six grand. So there is really no loan limit cap to VA as long as you bring in that um, that down payment requirement, which
2: is. You can also you know, do VA minimal. loans if you have a VA loan. There's a product called the Earl, which you might be familiar with. It's the interest rate reduction loan. And that is um, a pretty streamlined way of just getting your interest rate lowered. We have good low rates right now on those EARL loans. If you want to look into that, give us a call. Um, We also do cash out refinance loans on VA loans. It used to be you could only refinance a, a VA loan with a VA loan. Um, You could never refinance a conventional loan with a VA loan. Those rules have also changed in the revamping of the program. So uh, sometimes the right thing to do is a cash-out refi to consolidate debt or whatever you need to do to kind of get things on track. So we do those as well. Um, Folks, we do all the loans. Anything that you can live in, we can finance. And so we want to just invite you if you're – Um, looking to make your first home purchase, or you want to buy your 10th rental property, uh, we'd love it if you'd reach out to us and let us uh, throw our hat in the ring to be your lender. Uh, We have all of the loan products and pride ourselves on having um, the most competitive in interest rates and and fees. So reach out to us. We have one phone number to ring all of our offices. It's 805-543-LOAN. Or you can find us on the web at centralcoastlending.com. There's lots of great information on there about uh, products and programs, kind of meet the staff, take a tour around. We've got an online loan application. If you're listening to the show today and you want to just go in and apply to get pre-approved, you can just go in, click apply now, fill out a loan application, and uh, get yourself on your way to a consult where we'll have you in and walk you through the the ins and outs, and the strategies help you budget and plan for it. want to thank you all again this Memorial Day, thinking about those that made the ultimate sacrifice, and thank everybody that served our country. And uh, we'll be back. See you in June for the next live episode of Mortgage Matters.